Welcome to River City Church Podcast. We're glad you're listening. We believe this message will be encouraging and timely. To connect with us, find us on social or at rivercitychurch.co. Today we're going to continue with favor in your field. We're going to be in part two, favor in your field. Today I want to take a few moments and talk a little bit about spiritual warfare in relationship to favor, uh, because favor is something that you know, I, I mentioned this last week. Favor is, and if you miss the message, I'd encourage you to go to the go to our podcast, Spotify or Apple Podcast to get that, uh, because I believe that it's so important we understand what favor is and how we can walk in that to uh, find and fulfill our purpose. We have favor in our our God given field, our assignment, our, our, our place, our people, our purpose, and God anoints us, calls us. Here we're going to look at another familiar person. Man's name is Gideon. We're going to be in Judges chapter 7. Uh, we're going to start in verse 9, but before I uh, read that, I want to give a little bit of context. I've, I've shared Gideon a couple times, but I've never, I don't think here I've shared this part of the story. This is the, the, the last stage of uh, where they actually get victory over the Midianites. To set the scene, for seven years, Israel has lived under assault. For seven years, they've lived under attack. For seven years, they have been uh, dealing with the Midianite army, which has come continually to harass, to steal, to kill, to destroy. And they would come and often take away the fruit of their labor, the fruit of their harvest. Imagine that every time you got paid, every week, two weeks, every month, that whenever you got your paycheck, uh, that somebody came and that's kind of where they're at. So, taxes, <laughs> but took the whole thing. And that's kind of where they're at. And so they're at the place where every time they gain a harvest, every time they try to eke out an existence, substance, survival, they have, the enemy comes to take in. So they have to hide not only what they have, but they have to hide for their very lives. And so for seven years, they're in a season where they come to the place of total desperation, and then they cry out to God. And God sends Gideon. God sends, I believe that God's answer to every situation, every need, every problem on the earth is to raise up a man or woman filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Word of God to transform every family, every community, every city, and even every nation. God sends in answer to the church's prayer, God raises up his own people, uh, full of him, full of his power. And here's where, in this story, God sends Gideon. And, and Gideon is unique because Gideon from the beginning doesn't feel qualified, but favor qualifies the unqualified. Favor equips the unequipped. Favor positions you where life could never position you on its own. Favor opens doors you can't open. Favor puts you in places that are not just about a paycheck or a, or a neighborhood or, or even a, a family, uh, but it's about a God-given eternal purpose. So favor positions you, and we looked at that a little bit last week, but favor also stirs up opposition. And of course, there's natural opposition, which we saw last week with Joseph's brothers and David dealt with it with Saul, but there's a spiritual battle that all of us are in, and, and I highlight this to, to, one, to cause us to recognize when we're in spiritual warfare, but also to know how to overcome it. And so it's important to, you know, I, I don't believe in glorifying what the enemy's trying to do. I feel like right now there so many Christians are overwhelmed by what's happening in the news, what's happening in the world around us, what's happening, and there's practical concerns and, and issues and things that many people genuinely are worried about, but God is still your source. God is still your answer. Come on, church. 
God's, 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 God's promise doesn't change based on, you know, what the economy's doing, what the world's doing, who's in office. Are, are you with me? God's promises are true. God is faithful. God is your provider. God is your source. He is your strength. He's your healer. He's all of that and more. So, so God positions Gideon and God raises up Gideon to take on the Midianites. So now fast forward to chapter seven. We'll start in verse nine. He is, he is gathering an army together. And, and he, he gathers, I think, some like 10,000 people. Uh, I forget the exact number. And, and, and God immediately says, hey, it's too many. Okay, God, well, well, there's like, you know, 10 times as many enemy army troops. Uh, God says, no, it's too many. Whittle the group down. He goes through all a series of process until all the getting has are 300. But a small number with God is always a majority. A small number with God. See, God doesn't need just, I, I believe this, I've said this before, but God can do more with one surrendered life than he can with an entire church, even of people that own their own lives. All he needs is one yes, and he can turn the world upside down. All he needs is one yes, and he can change your family. All he needs is one yes, and he can change the, the environment. And I, I believe we're even going to see that this week in North Iowa. But Judges chapter 7, verse 9, it happened on the same night after he's whittled his army down to 300 people. Uh, Gideon's not quite sure if, if he's got what it takes. Here's what it says. The Lord says to him, arise and go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. You know, when God says something, it's not just a promise. It's something you could take to the bank. It's, it's as good as the answer. I, I found this so many times I'll pray for something. And, and even before I see the answer, the, you know, I'm praying for, for, for a miracle, praying, believing for, for restoration in a family member, whatever it is. When I'm praying for something, oftentimes before I see it happen, God gives a word. And, and in our mind, in our way of thinking, We'd rather see the answer. <laughs> Come on, church. I'd, I'd rather see the answer. I'd rather see, you know, uh, the body healed, the, the bill paid, the, the, the prodigal come home. I'd rather see that. But as far as God's concerned, because God doesn't just live right now, he is, he's eternal. He's as much in your past as he is in your future. And so before I give anybody a headache about that, I want you to understand when God says something, it's as good as real. It's as good as true because his word is always true. Heaven and earth will even pass away. He says his word will never fail. And so he says, I've already delivered it to your hand. So before you've even fought the battle, the outcome's already determined. Come on, church. I want you to go down to the camp with your servant. He says, and you're going to hear what they have to say. And afterward... Your hands will be strengthened to go down against the camp. It's kind of an odd place for God to send Gideon, but you'll see why in a moment. So he does. He goes down with his servant, and he goes to the outposts of the armed men who are in the camp. Now the Midianites and the Amalekites, another group of people who are constantly at war with Israel, and all the people of these. So there's a coalition gathered together to wipe out Gideon and his forces. Uh, they were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts. Their camels were without number but as the sand by the seashore. So the, the writer of Judges is trying to make a point. Like, the odds are not good. So, so this should encourage anybody that looks at your situation right now and goes... It doesn't look good. I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know how this is going to change. I don't know how this is going to be better. 
You may look at a family member and go, yeah, I don't know how this is going to be different. I don't know how God's promised that, that, they're going to be, that they're going to be walking in the purpose of God, that they're going to be free from addiction or depression or anxiety. I don't know how that's going to happen. I don't know how my marriage is going to be whole or my kids are going to be restored. I don't know how. But watch this. The odds were against him. But in verse 13, Gideon had come. And there was a man who happened to be telling a dream to his companion. So, so if I have a subtitle for this message, it's, it's what the devil dreams about. <laughs> I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, but here's, here's what you have to recognize. We think that the enemy, that he's, sometimes we, we picture that the enemy of our soul is somehow omnipresent, that he's everywhere. But he's not. Only God is. Are you with me? We think that the enemy and his forces are omnipotent, that there's, that there's no limit to what darkness can do in our lifetime. But it's not true. God is always greater. There's not a single day where God ever breaks a sweat on his throne. <laughs> there's never a day where he gets nervous. There's never a day where he worries about what the enemy's trying to do. He's always 10 steps ahead. But I want you to see this because God sends Gideon at just the right time and the enemy's had a dream. And it's a nightmare. Can I just tell you, you're the enemy's worst nightmare. Come on, church. Can I just tell you, the reason for the fight is because he knows what God can do through you. The reason the enemy's going after you and going after your family and going after your marriage and going after your, 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 your faith is because he knows what you're capable of, full of God, full of Jesus. He's, he's, he's after your purpose. He's after your identity because if he can stop the church, if he can make the church silent and hiding in a cave, he can keep the purpose of God from advancing. But can I tell you, he's not going to. There's a people who are not going to listen to his lies any longer. Is actually going to be encouraged in the enemy's camp. Odd place, but I love how God does this. So Gideon walks up, and there happens to be a conversation. He says, I've had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into our camp, and it came to a tent, and it struck it so that it fell and overturned, and the tent collapsed. And so while Gideon's hearing this, the, this guy's companion interprets a dream for him right there on the spot. And so it was, and Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, oh, oh, verse 14, excuse me, and his companion answered, he said, this is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, <laughs> the son of Joash, a man of Israel, into his hand. Gideon's listening because he thinks the enemy is confident, is stronger, is greater. Gideon goes down and finds out any of your parents ever tell you when you were a kid, like I have this issue with spiders, still kind of do? Like if a spider walks across my dashboard in my car, I'll, I'll stop the car and I'm about ready to light my car on fire to kill it. Like, it's just, I know it doesn't make sense, but it's just what it is. So, so, so I remember as a kid, my, my mom especially would say, they're more scared of you than you are of them. Anybody, your parents ever say that? Okay, you tell your kids that? Even though if that spider jumped on you, you'd be as freaked out as... Okay. Here's what Gideon finds out. The enemy has a dream. Guess who gave him the dream? God did. The enemy has a nightmare, and they interpret their own dream. Gideon doesn't get a word from a prophet of Israel. He doesn't get a confirmation from an angel. He hears out of the lips of his own enemy that's come to destroy him 
we're already defeated. Come on, church. Sometimes God will even use the presence of the enemy to confirm your calling, to confirm your purpose, to confirm that he's doing something. You know why? Because the enemy's often more discerning than we are. And so he tries to stop what God has got in motion in our lives. But I love this. The enemy already knows. Guess what? He's already, he's not, he knows the end of the story. He knows he's lost. And everything he's trying to do, the enemy's trying to do in our generation, in our life, is his desperation. And oftentimes, the way the enemy works in our life as a believer, see, the day you say yes to Jesus, the Bible says you're transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the son of his love. That you go from one dominion, one authority, one rule in your life to another. You're set free from sin. You're set free from hell. You're set free from the power of death. And you're brought into the kingdom of God. And he's lost you. But you know, it doesn't mean that he's going to stop trying to fight you. And you know how I believe he fights us the most is through lies. In fact, if you see the most common characteristic about the, if you want to call it the end times or the last days, the most common characteristic in the world, apart from the kingdom of God, is deception. And so it's often a lie that we believe that empowers the enemy to steal, kill, and destroy, to to take what should be ours in our field of favor and rob us of the purpose of God there. And so I want you to see this. We're going to see how to expose that and to to overcome it. But I think sometimes I I know God's about to do something because of how hard the enemy is trying to fight me for it. Now, that doesn't mean that every tough thing in my life or your life is, you know, spiritual warfare. Listen, sometimes we just make stupid decisions. That's super deep and spiritual, but I'm just telling you. (laughs) If you don't put gas in your car, it's not the devil that caused you to be stuck on the side of the road. If you didn't pay the power bill, it's not spiritual warfare that you're now sitting in the dark. I, I could stop there. That was really good. But here's what I recognize when, 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 when there's, I've, I've done what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm seeking God, I'm praying, I'm, I'm spending time healing. I've got all that, but yet there's still something that's stealing the harvest in my field. That's, that's opposing the purpose of God. That's actually, okay, so let's look at this. Judges 6, 2. I referred to this early at the beginning. Uh, the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites, the children of Israel, made for themselves dens, caves, and strongholds. So I think this is interesting. The enemy didn't build them a prison. They built it to hide. Fear built it. Discouragement built it. Shame built it. And Israel for seven years is hiding in caves when they're called to a promised land. Of course, they got in this situation because they turned away from God. And now they're at their point of desperation, cry out to God. But can I just tell you, because of fear, oftentimes we run away from the field that we're called to. Because of shame, we say things like, I don't deserve any better. Now, before Jesus, none of us deserved any better, but Jesus in his grave, I have a hard time believing that because of shame. Because of hurt, I try to, try to make things happen on my own. 
I, I, you know, I, I've seen this often with people who've been wounded. I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to push you away before you can hurt me any further. I, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to control the outcome. Israel built their own place of captivity in response to fear of the enemy. Now, I have this picture. I was going to try to play it for you. It's, it's, it's from a classic, you know what I'm talking about, The Wizard of Oz. Have you ever seen The Wizard of Oz? Okay. So at least you've seen it and you'll know what I'm talking about. I was going to play the clip, but we had a problem, a technical issue. Um, but I had this thought of this scene. And, uh, and it's, it's when The Wizard of Oz, when Dorothy and her crew, I don't know what you call them, they show up and they're having an audience with the Wizard of Oz and they see this like scary image projected on the wall and it looks like this big floating head that's just barking at them and this deep, scary, intimidating voice and they're afraid. But then all of a sudden the little dog runs over, Toto runs over and finds a curtain and he pulls the curtain back and you find out it's not this big, scary Wizard of Oz, it's actually a dude. And he says, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. I, I think that's an appropriate picture for how the enemy works. Because he doesn't want us to recognize that what we've believed is actually a lie we're meant to confront and overcome. And we tolerate it, accept it, respond to it, and build our own prison because of it. Getting himself to this before he responded to the call of God, Judges chapter 6, verse 15. So he says to God, Oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Like he's he's he not only just has a poor self-image, he's 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 got a distorted identity. Even if he's the least in his house, and his clan's the least in all of Israel, can I tell you, the least in God among God's people? with a covenant with God, is more than being the greatest without it. And John the Baptist even. That's why Jesus even said the least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist even, because we have a new covenant that's even greater. You've got the power of the Holy Spirit. You've got the word of God. You've got all of that. The devil's terrified of two things, who you are in Christ and what you have. And he wants to make most people, that's why religion keeps you in a place of perpetual discouragement. If the devil can't get you and I into compromise and into sin, he'll get us into religion, which will bring us to a place where our faith is so dead and so dry, and there's no life in our relationship with God anymore, and we just think, oh, I'm just the least, and I'm just this. I'm just trying to hang on until Jesus comes back. Nobody in here has ever said that good. I'm just trying to make it. Woe is me. Instead of knowing what the Bible actually says about you, that you're accepted in the beloved. There's, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. There's no spirit of fear because he hasn't given you a spirit of fear. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things are made new. That's who you are. Gideon, what's, what's God's response to Gideon? Surely I will be with you and you'll defeat the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, now, if I have found favor in your sight, you've got to prove it to me that it's you to talk to me. Like he's having a conversation with God and he still doesn't quite get it. That's what disappointment will do. That's what living in a prison of shame, disappointment, fear, regret, 
bitterness, whatever it is. All of us have a different cave with a different label over it, but it all produces the same result. It leaves us trapped and disconnected from the field we're called to. Okay, let's go back to, uh, well, let me short points at the very end. The, so for my note takers there. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. I, I thought of this verse, Isaiah 14, 16. In the New Living Translation, it actually says of, of the enemy, the devil himself, who was once an angel in the presence of God, who because of pride and rebellion fell. Isaiah 14 illustrates that, why he fell, because of his pride, because of his rebellion. But here's what it says. There's going to be a day where you shook the earth there will stare at you, talking about the enemy, and say, can this be the one who shook the earth and made the kingdoms of the world tremble? If you don't know what's going on in the world, just read your Bible, and you see there's something behind the curtain. And it's the church's job, with his word, to bring light to expose what the enemy's trying to do and confront it. The world does not have the tools to deal with this problem. But you and I do. Right now, in some of the worst environments of the world, the church is exploding. Revival is breaking out. The underground church is turning places that you would never think where, where all of this is outlawed. <laughs> turning the, that place upside down. Can I tell you the answer to every problem in the world today is very simple. And I don't want to oversimplify it, but you can't with this. Jesus is the answer. He is the hope of the world. He is the desire of the nations. He is the solution for our marriages and our families and our communities and our country. He is the answer. And so I, I just think this is important that we recognize this. He's still greater. No one's ever going to see God and be less impressed. But we will actually see darkness for what it is and be very less impressed. Don't ever be impressed by an unimpressive lie. I think there's a lot of us that are bound by things that if we really saw it for what it is, we would immediately recognize and turn to God and recognize we're called to freedom. All right, let me give you those points. Let's go back to Judges 7. Let's watch the battle, and then we're going to go. Judges chapter 7, verse 16. Uh, Gideon, in response to this dream, divided the 300 men that he had into three companies, and he put a trumpet in every man's hand. So, so he, I, I like the way he equips him. And this is why I want to give you three points based on what he equips him with and how it, it relates to us utilizing God's word to experience freedom and give freedom. So, so here's what it says. He puts a trumpet in every man's hand with an empty pitcher. And he puts torches inside of the pitchers. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. Watch, and when I come to the edge of the camp, you will do as I do. And when I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then you will also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp. And here's what you say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and the 300 men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. Just as they had uh, posted the watch, they blew the trumpets, they broke the pitchers that were in their hands. And then the three companies blew the trumpets, broke the pitchers, and they held torches in their left hand and trumpets in their right hand for blowing. And they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And the enemy who had already been scared because they were up all night with nightmares about Gideon. <laughs> Every man stood in his place all around the camp, the whole army, 
ran, cried out, and fled. In fact, they even turned on each other. And Israel wins the day. So the way we defeat the lie is through the truth of God's word. So here's, here's Ephesians, or excuse me, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. This is a very important verse. It says, the word of God is like a two-edged sword. It's living and powerful or active. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And we'll get back to the two-edged thing in a minute. Piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Church, it's, the Bible is not a optional thing in our walk with God. It's something we vitally need to recognize the truth. And as we recognize the truth, can I just tell you, there's going to be some times you're going to read a Bible verse and you're not going to like it. Because it's going gonna, it's gonna to mess with your opinions. It's going to mess with your philosophy. And the only thing that can happen, one of two things happen, either it changes or you change. Okay, so he equips them with a torch, and torches do something, they reveal. They bring light where it's dark. And the first point is this, God's word reveals the lies, the lies that we've believed about ourselves, about God. God's word reveals the lie. Now, why is that important? Because you can't overcome a lie you don't recognize. So, so let me give you an example. Just something as simple as this. We believe lies like this. I'll never be healed. I'll never be free. Things will never change. And, and, and we, we accept as permanent what's temporary. We accept lies that keep us bound by offense. The lie that tells us to justify our bitterness. What they've done to me is too much to forgive. But God's truth comes along and his word, we, we hold on to fear. His word comes along and says, God hasn't given me a spirit of fear. That's his truth confronting the lie. If I accept fear, I'm accepting a lie. But when I believe his word, I confront that and overcome it. When his word comes along and says, forgive even as God in Christ forgave me then the standard is no longer how much or what they've done. It's how much have I received from Jesus? Because what I did didn't deserve his forgiveness, but he hung on a cross and offered his life for mine. His word reveals the lie so that we can be free. Uh, Ephesians 5, 8 says this, For you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose it. So, so we, we confront it through his word, through his truth, through, through his love, through prayer. Whatever the issue is, whatever the cave is made of, God's word is the key to freedom. Second point, he gave them a trumpet. God's word declares truth. God's word declares through truth. John 8, 31, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples. So what's, what's one of the characteristics of a disciple? It's that we abide in his word. You shall know the truth. The result of abiding in his word is this. And this is something everybody in the world quotes, but nobody knows the truth that it's talking about. You shall know the truth and the truth shall he die. 
can I tell you it's not the truth just about, you know, cheeseburgers and chili dogs and it, it, it's a particular truth, <laughs> the truth of his word, that as I know his word, it sets me free. It's impossible to stay in it. Well, let me, let me say it this way. It's impossible to follow this and not have it change me. Okay. So, so they responded when Jesus said that, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. The, the religious crowd actually got upset. They got upset because he would suggest they needed freedom. The lie in the world today is an old lie. There, there's nothing new. It just gets a new varnish. <laughs> um, it, it, it's this, that freedom is never having to accept a no. It's living for myself and what I want all the time at any moment. But anybody who knows reality knows that's not freedom. That's a recipe for disaster. That's why, because otherwise we grow up to be adults that don't know. No, you have to show up to work. <laughs> okay, anyway. But he, he says this, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. So, so I, I can think I'm free, but I'm actually a slave of whatever I obey. Whatever I yield my heart to. Okay. But if the sun sets you free, he says 836, if the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. You know, I, I wrote this down. People have more time, more entertainment, more access to what they want at any other point than at other, any other point in human history. But I don't think people are any healthier, any happier, any more fulfilled. That's just my opinion. And uh, here's what it is. God's word is a trumpet. How does that apply for me? Well, I need to declare this over my life because if all I've ever heard my entire life is a lie and all I've heard from my own lips is a lie about myself and about God and about whatever, I'll accept that. But as I begin to drown out the noise with his word, that's why we renew our minds with his word. And as we declare out of our own mouth what his word says, it begins to transform. Come on, church, the word is to be a trumpet that's louder than any lie in your life. And the more you get this in your heart and this in your mind, the, the more easily you'll recognize the lie when it shows up. I don't spend a lot of time worrying about identifying the lie. I just saturate my life with the truth and I'll recognize it when it shows up. You don't, people who work with money, the way you recognize a counterfeit bill isn't by just learning about counterfeits because they change all the time. It's by being exposed to the real thing, handling it, seeing it, recognizing what makes it true, what makes it real, and you'll immediately recognize a counterfeit when it shows up. Okay, third and final point. I told you, go through them quick. God's word breaks chains. God's word breaks chains. There was an empty pitcher that would be shattered, and when they shattered it and broke it, the, the torch was lit, or was it was thrown on the ground. And this, this cascade of the trumpets being blasted, and the torches being lit, and the shattering of these pots is what caused the enemy to run and scatter. And can I tell you, when you declare God's word, the enemy has no room to bring a lie in your life any longer. It's like the curtain being pulled back. And he says, don't pay attention to me. Don't pay attention to this lie. But God's word reveals it so he can change it. And God's word brings truth, but there's always a result in us. It's called surrender. 
Surrender is the brokenness. Surrender is the place where I'm willing to accept God's truth, even if it means laying down my own will. But when I accept his truth and God breaks something, it does, it's, it's good surrender. Surrender to God. Jason, if you want to come down. Last verse, 2 Corinthians 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not earthly or carnal, but they are mighty in God. For the demolishing, pulling down of strongholds, even the ones we've built for ourselves, even the ones that have been passed from generation to generation, well, this is how my family is. The lie says you'll always be angry, you'll always be addicted, you'll always be... It's time to shatter that. It's time to let God's word pull back the curtain. He reveals so that he can heal and set free. To connect with us, find us on social or at rivercitychurch.co.